Hello and welcome to episode 371 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson. That's Nathan Fox. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to get on an upcoming episode of this show, email help at thinkinglsat.com. We record on Tuesdays and this is going to air on Monday, October 10th. So we're going to record tomorrow. You want to get on the show, email us today and we will hopefully read your email if it is clear and short. <laughs> uh, what's this dates? You have some dates on here. Yeah. Upcoming dates uh, that are important. Today is October 4th. So the next thing that you have to worry about is the sign-up deadline for the 2023 January LSAT. December 1st is when you have to look at that. The other next thing that's going to happen is the October LSAT scores are going to come out on November 2nd. Mm, but gotcha. as far as action is action items, really all you got to do is uh, decide sometime between now and December 1st whether you're going to register for uh, the January LSAT. You can find all these dates and more at lsat.link forward slash dates. My buddy and I have an extended joke about Fleet Week in San Francisco. You know what Fleet Fleet Week Week? is? Mm -mm. Fleet Week is where like they bring some big ships into San Francisco Bay and they also have like the Blue Angels and all that shit. It's like a Mm. big, you know, just like military extravagant. It's essentially a commercial for the armed (laughs) forces paid for by U.S. taxpayers. Right. It's just like they're blasting around. And when I lived in San Francisco, it was unbelievable how much, how often it seemed like it was Fleet Week because you can't miss Fleet Week because there's Blue Angels blasting over your apartment, you know, downtown San Francisco. And so my buddy and I have a joke, just like we text each other when it's Fleet Week. And the response (laughs) is it's always Fleet Week Yeah, (laughs) because it just feels like it's always damn Fleet Week. And I'm not insulting you if you are a member of the armed forces, by the way, but that shit's loud and it never, it's like, seems like it's always happening. Anyway, same thing with law school admissions, same thing with these cycles, same thing with the LSAT test dates themselves. Yep. And the critical error of strategy that all the students tend to make um, <clears throat> is they sign up for a test, then start prepping. Hmm. And it's like, no, don't do that. Start prepping figure out when you're going to be ready to take the actual test. You can't work backward from a goal like that. You have to work toward, you have to practice. It's not the type of thing where it you, you know, I understand that training for a marathon, you might be able to just like schedule the marathon and then do a training regimen to get yourself ready for that marathon. I don't think that's the best way to approach this test because you're going to take the test multiple times probably. And because you can do practice tests that will indicate whether you're ready. I mean, it might take everybody a certain amount of time to prep for a marathon. It doesn't take everybody a certain amount of time to prep for this test. It could be six weeks or it could be six months. Or longer. Sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent, but you know, on the playground, remember those things that would spin in a circle and you had to run and like grab on? Jump onto it. It's a platform. Jump onto it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like kids, like sometimes they grab on and they like fall off and they... Uh-huh. Probably like or sometimes the jackass guys strap their friends to it and then start bombing them with paintball <laughs> equipment. Anyway, no, I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking like if you're trying to get on this wheel that's going around, right, it's going to come around and next year you comply again. But it's like these kids are like trying to jump on and they're just being dragged. It's like, why don't you get ready? 
yeah. jump on and be a badass and not be dragged around by this thing because you're trying to like, yeah, I got to get on great, right now. I love that analogy. That's a that's a great <laughs> analogy. Yeah, because people it's like if the, if they do it the other way, one of the handles, right? One of the spots yeah. is yeah. like labeled. Oh, that's my spot. Yeah. And you're going to label the spot. And then when the spot comes by, you're going to jump on and it's going to fucking yank your shoulder sockets out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and instead, what you should do is not decide what spot you're going to get on and instead yep. start running around the thing. And then when you're ready to jump on, you jump on. Yeah, that's an excellent analogy, Ben. Good job. If you have not already done so, but you listen to this podcast religiously, I would encourage you to change today and start coming to Nathan's free class. It's every other Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. The next one is Friday, October 21st. Yeah, it used to be every other Thursday. Now it's every other Friday. Uh, I just moved Oops. my yep. schedule a little bit. Um, what was you say the highlight is today, Megan? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's an yeah. excellent guest. Megan Smiley, uh, megansmiley.com. She uh, was referred to us by Matt Dumont, um, critical part of the LSAT Demon team. And uh, Matt predicted that that was going to be a home run of a guest, and it certainly was, so... Maybe we should just jump right in, huh? Let's do it. All right. Today on the show, we have Megan Smiley. And uh, you're a, a fellow podcaster, a former corporate lawyer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a friend of Matt Dumont. Uh, Matt is a demon teacher, and he recommended that we connect with you. What's your connection with Matt? Uh, he used to uh, rock climb with my husband in New York. <laughs> oh, Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, <laughs> and then I saw that he went to law. He was acting at the time. And then I saw that he went to law school and I was like, you didn't talk to me first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would you tell him today? <laughs> well, I think what I have come to learn is, is, and also what he's told me about how sort of your guys's ethos is there's a lot of good things about law school and being a lawyer, but the real trouble is when you go into massive amounts of debt and it limits the rest of what you do with your life. Um, so what I would have told him is be very careful with the debt that you take on and, you know, thinking about what life looks like after that and what your options are or aren't given that situation. Yeah, absolutely. We couldn't agree more. I mean, the tagline for this show is don't pay for law school. Yeah. And thankfully, even though you didn't talk to Matt, I am confident that he took yes. that advice and yeah. now he's paying nothing but fees. Although the fees ended up being more than what we <laughs> would have expected. I think he's paying like something like two or $3,000 in fees, uh, even though he got a full tuition scholarship. So yeah, still as someone who also at. worked at a law school, yeah. <laughs> that does not surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, worked at Fordham law for nine years. Yeah. What yeah. did you do there? I was the director of international programs. Um, so I worked with some JD students who wanted to go abroad, um, but I did a lot of executive programming, working with foreign lawyers coming to New York to do special programs. Uh, and our office also was in charge of the LLM program. Cool. And you are the you're the host of the Lawyers Escape Pod. Yeah. Where you interview lawyers who've gone on to other careers. Yeah. So when I was still at Fordham, um, people would come to me and be like, oh, that sounds like a cool job. Like you get to travel and work with people from all over the world. Sort of how did you transition from corporate law into that? 
Um, and I was happy to, to share my story. But my sense was there was a bit of an appetite for sort of what do lawyers do beyond sort of pure practice of law if they realize that's not what they want to do. Um, I was also at that time kind of in my own evolution of what's going to be my next career step. And it seemed like a good way to get people to just talk to me about their their careers that interested me. So, uh, so yeah, I just started the podcast a little over three years ago, just talking to lawyers who've gone on to do um, different different things after practice. So most of these lawyers were unhappy with the traditional route, I guess, and left, or this is, are a lot of people leaving just because they're going to something better, even though they enjoyed what they were doing? I'd say the majority are being driven by a dissatisfaction with um, practice, you know, and there's a variety of people, right? There's like the big law people whose lives are just completely consumed and they don't have any free time and the burnout is, is real. Um, so there's sort of that story. But there are also people who've, you know, moved around in different um, sort of environments, whether it's like, OK, I'm going to go to a small firm, or I'm going to go to the government. So, you know, I told those stories, but then there are also the stories of people and primarily what I kind of work with now is people are like, I've. I've checked around the legal field. I just don't want to be a lawyer. I want to do something totally different. So on the podcast, there's a range of stories, um, but it probably does tilt towards the, I just realized I don't like being a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I see, I mean, I'm on your website right now, megansmiley.com. And, yeah. and so that's your business. It looks like is to help people make that transition. And your clientele is primarily former Lawyers. It's primarily former lawyers. And I've sort of evolved. I started sort of generally coaching. But what has become my specialty is people who are like, these are the people that have made a couple of jumps trying to make sort of a sensible, you know, can I do something another legal job or a legal adjacent job and people who are like, I just want out of this whole thing and have sort of an itch to build something themselves that probably has nothing to do with law. So I help them sort of work through their business ideas and, and launch companies. But wow. you can do anything with a law degree. Doesn't the law degree help people <laughs> to become entrepreneurs? Yeah, sure. It, it absolutely does in some, you know, I think, I think the skills that you learn being a lawyer, it's not like you dump those, you know, and move in. But I think my impression from the conversations I've had, and again, like, I say there's a range of people. Um, I just tend to work with people who are at like the really screw it end of the spectrum. Um, but you can use those skills and they will absolutely serve you. But do you want the core of what you do to be centered around the law? And I think a lot of people went to law school for reasons other than they actually were likely to enjoy the practice of law. That could be family pressure, the idea that it was just a sensible decision, and this is how you become successful and make money and just kind of get carried in a wave that took them to law school. And, you know, and I also find that people enjoy law school. And then it's actually the practice of law that doesn't suit a lot of people. Mm. So they, they don't mind the intellectual challenge. And maybe they even think, right. oh, this is exactly what I want to be doing with my life. But yes, you're actually just fighting with people often, right? As opposed to intellectually pondering the meaning of right. some term. Law school you know. and practicing law have very little to do with each other in 
in my experience and the experience of a lot of people I've spoken to. You know, some practices are closer. I mean, I went into corporate, so it really truly had like nothing to do <laughs> um, with what I was doing in law school. But I, I think law school historically has been kind of a catch-all for people who are like, oh, I'm not quite sure what else to do. That was my story. I was like a couple years out of college. I come from a family of lawyers. They weren't pressuring me. When I said I was going to go to law school, my dad asked me, can't you think of something more interesting to do? Mm. <laughs> I said, no. That, that's why I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, that that's yeah. my story as well. I, a, a little bit different because my my family were engineers. I and and I think they were dumbfounded by why I wanted to go into law, but at the same time, they didn't know anything about it. So they're like, "Okay, sounds respectable. Good right. luck with that. You know, right? How can we help?" And it was just a default. It was a default option. I had an economics yeah. degree, so it's like, what am I going to do now? Well. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think it, ha I think it's a lot of a default off it for people. And I think, and I'm sure you guys are steeped in this is that it used to be a decent default. It's now not a great default given the price tag associated with it. You know, yes, it can serve you. Yes. It can get you, you know, into a lot of different things, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. There's the cost. And then there's this bimodal distribution of, uh, salaries, right? You have yes. some people who come out and exactly. make 50 and some people come out and make 180, but everybody's focused on the 180 and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I graduated in 2006, so it was sort of still the booming era of like if you wanted a firm job and do the whole summer associate thing and get the closer wasn't 180 yeah, in right those before days, the but it drop. was 140. It was a lot of money. Yeah. And it just there was still a sense that that was kind of majority available, at least at, you know, certain law schools. Um, but now, you know, that is not the case. So that, that's not a fair assumption to make that even if you go to a top 25 law school that you're going to come out and make, you know, sort of big firm money. The, the interesting thing, though, is that the people you're helping who are like, I don't want anything to do with law anymore. I don't even want law adjacent. I just want yeah. to be free of this segment of the world. They have high paying jobs or are you helping people who had these lower paying jobs? It's a mix. Um, I'd say probably the most common trajectory is they started out in big law, hated that, made a step to a more humane, you know, lower paying, but still six figure job. Mm -hmm. And that didn't solve the problem. And so like then, in some company or something there. Yeah. Whether the they go general... in house or they go to a smaller sort of boutique firm or if they go to government um, or people like me who went into higher education, you know, there are a lot of these sort of standard steps from like, you know, the sort of high tier big law jobs that people take when they're unhappy there. I, I think it's very rare that people jump from there to like totally out of the game but I think people will try and feel out, is there a place within the practice of law that would suit me better? Um, and some people find it and some people don't. Well, we have a lot of listeners who want to go to law school. We tell them all the time, and hopefully they know this already, that we're telling them not to go. But if they really, really want to go, <laughs> don't pay. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, then, you know, they could leave at any time and they don't have as much on the table holding yeah. them back. 
But um, what else I mean, would I, you? I think tell that's us? the best advice because I the people I work with are on the other side of this fence, and mm-hmm. I can tell you that the number one sort of flag that gets raised is I would love to do this, but my student loans. And a lot of people feel like it's just an absolute, you know, immediate bar to them doing anything other than what they're currently doing that they don't enjoy. Um, And so, you know, just as a, to reiterate what your message already is as a cautionary tale, it's just, I spent all day with people feeling very trapped by the, the weight of the, the loans that they've taken out for law school. And, and some of these people had big law jobs. So even though oh, they yeah. had big law jobs, they're still not <laughs> finished yeah. paying off their student loans and they're feeling constrained. Like I cannot take a different career path, lower my income, and then not be in a position to pay back those loans that are what, maybe costing them a couple thousand a month. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like some big yeah. number a month. And yeah. you know, I think they're, there are ways to manage your student loans. And I sort of, I've talked to multiple people who do that kind of work on, on my podcast as well. <clears throat> so I'm not sure it's quite the entire bar to making a change that people feel like it is, but it is a legitimate issue. It reduces their desire to take risk, right? They're right. To, and yeah. you're already talking about a group of people that are, have somewhat self-selected for being risk averse, right? And then that gets reinforced in, in legal training, right? We're issue spotters. We see all the things that can go wrong. And when you have this big weight of a, a student loan payment that you have to make, you know, most lawyer trained lawyers are going to have the reaction. I don't have any option. There's just no path for me to take this risk. Uh, Just to echo a lot of what you're saying, Megan, I got a call yesterday from a prospective student family friend who, you know, he's a good student. He had a business degree like me, like Ben. He doesn't really know what to do in, with his life. He's thinking, well, business and finance didn't turn out to be what I thought it was. And I, I really think I want to help people. So defaulting toward law school, potentially. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I went through all the exact same steps. It's like, yeah. Can't you find something more interesting to do? Second, you know, I think if you go into law, like you're either it's like money or helping people, probably not both. In most cases, money is a terrible lifestyle. So, you know, 80 hour work weeks. So and I'm like trying to talk him out of it before he even takes a practice test. But then I also give him my website and I'm like, hey, you can go take a practice LSAT because if you get the right LSAT, you could go for free. And I wasn't expecting it, actually, but he texts me back like three hours later, just finished my first attempt, got a 159. Not sure exactly what that means. Ran out of time on the last section. Well, what that means is, Ben, 151, out of the box, no prior prep. What's that mean? Uh, what did you say? 159, though, right? 159. Yeah, I mean, that's an extraordinarily high cold diagnostic test. So he's going to end up in the 170s, which means he can go for free. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, on the one hand, I'm like excited for the kid thinking, well, you know, prep a little bit, get a 170 something, pick and choose if you have good grades, especially pick and choose your law schools and go there for full tuition. But then on, uh, on the other hand, also don't like just yeah. because you right. have. Is that the only question? This, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, 
just totally separating the debt, which is extreme. And and the way that changes your priorities, you know, three, four, five, ten years from now for the rest of your life, potentially putting that all aside. I still am like, I just don't I don't know. Let me go back to step one. Is there other like what are you really good at? Could you just do more of that? Right. And I end up doing that work with my clients, which is when you sort of realize you I get told so often if I had a dollar for every person is like I got into law because I want to help people. Yep. But I'm not helping any anyone, even in like <laughs> the jobs that look like they would be helping. The people mm. often don't feel like it or that is just as like I, I had someone on recently who's now become a, a novelist and she did a lot of domestic violence work. And she's just like, you burn out like not just mm. you're, you're working long hours just because you're not in big law. If you're doing sort of some of this work that you know, I think people would feel like is important and maybe value-based, but, um, and look, I want there to be people doing this work. It's certainly not like nobody should go to law school. I believe in having a functional legal system, but I think there are just so many people who go without having gone through the thought process of, you know, what are your, what are your natural strengths? Like, you know, I, I have people do this strengths finder test. And a lot of people who say they want to help people have this strength that's called harmony. Like they just want to keep things copacetic. And it's like, that isn't really what, that's a beautiful natural strength. It's not going to get highly utilized in the law, for example, right? <laughs> no, the opposite um, is going to yeah, be highly exactly, utilized, you know? right? You're, but it's funny, like it's a pretty consistent thing that comes up. Again, these people are self-selecting talking to me. So that's yeah. not to say that's, you know, the majority of lawyers, but, um, it would be something to, that would be good to know about yourself before making the decision, you know, mm. see if your strengths match up with lawyer strengths. I took it and found out they sort of group the group, the strengths. I always thought I was good at attention to detail. Cause that's what you have to be good at. And I, I was, but all of these attention to detail and executing strengths were like bottom of my list. So it doesn't mean I can't do them, but it means it's extremely draining for me and not satisfying. So Mm. that's the sort of thing where like there are some like reflections that you can do before you even apply to law school to see if maybe you're going to fall into the category of people that's like, this just is not for me. Whereas there are people who score really high on competitive and strategic, and maybe that means it is a a good fit for you, right? That's energizing. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there are people who like love it. You know, there are these litigators who are like, oh my God, can't wait to get in there and fight with people. And it's like, that's great. Like, you're totally in the right profession. Um, But I would also say people telling you when you're young that you should be a lawyer because like you talk a lot or you like to argue is not a good barometer (laughs) for actually wanting to spend your time fighting. (laughs) That's like 50% of people's personal statements that they write for law school. Yep, exactly. I argued my bedtime when I was a kid. Right. And I'm on the flip, like on the other side, I'm just telling you, everyone says that. And it doesn't mean that you're going to like being a lawyer because it's also somebody else's reflection of what you should do. Right. Maybe you're just you have opinions. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean you like to fight. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think doing some of that reflection work about your own strengths, about your values um, and your interests. And allowing yourself to sort of think more broadly about the things you might, I don't know what your guys' experience is, but I, 
I was just like, I don't know, I guess you just like go into finance or law or become a doctor or I, I don't know. So I thought there were like five jobs you could do in life. Yeah. Turns out there's like so many things that you could do. For a and, lot of people, it's just doctors or lawyers. Right. I don't know where that phrase came from, but it's so terrible. Yeah. It's like or oh, engineers, the engineers careers, I put those in are that doctors category. and lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think when you've had a career and you see like, okay, people people's careers naturally evolve and you realize, oh, this is a, there's a whole, like, you know, these jobs and these jobs, but you just take so much off the table for yourself when you pigeonhole it, you know, in, in law. Cause it's, it's the money, it's the time, but it's also, it's, it's a mindset. It's very hard for people to walk away from the prestige of saying I'm a lawyer, even when they hate it, <laughs> you yeah. know, it sort of becomes very enmeshed in your identity in a way that's difficult to separate from again, hmm. even if you hate it. Yeah. Where's this, uh, strengths finder. Is that an online thing? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's the Clifton strengths finder and it's under like the Gallup umbrella. Um, and you can do your top five or you can do all, I think 31 of them. I don't know. It costs like either 25 or $60. It's, it costs something, but I, I think it's a useful, a useful um, tool. Another one that's free that I I have found is pretty cool is called the Sparkotype. Um, it's a little bit more digestible, probably. They're fewer and it's a little bit more um, the kind of, it, it connects you to the type of work that you naturally light up doing. And I think if anything, it might just stop someone to think about it a little bit. Yeah, Sparkotype with an E. Yeah, yes. okay. I see. Um, cool. Yeah. I found right of those, uh, both of those right away. So yeah, I'll put yeah. those in the show notes if anybody is interested. Awesome. What, do, what do you want to share with our <laughs> listeners that you have not already? It, it's really just what I said, which is just to take a step back. Cause I know how, how many of us ask like, Oh, should I be a lawyer? And people, everyone will say like, yes, that's respectable. Except for the lawyers who will say, say don't go. <laughs> and then everyone still goes. And it's like, I think we're so, I think there's a real desire to like get on a path and be successful and, and do it as fast as possible. And law just seems like, okay, there's, I'm smart. I can follow these steps and I can get where I want to go. Um, but just be careful that you actually want to get to the destination. And I think the way to make sure that you're not getting on a path you don't want to go down is to ask yourself some of these questions before before you go and to go beyond the, I argued when I was a kid or I like logic or I would, you know, the sort of, you know, surface level things that I, I, I say this because I was this person. So no judgment if that's <laughs> what people are feeling like. But, um, I, I think that people go to law school without a ton of thought about what living as a lawyer looks like. I did. I had yeah. no clue. Yeah. 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 You, yeah. you had lawyers in your family, at least. I was first generation. I mean, I'm the first generation college student in my family. I had no idea. Right. When right. I tell students, you know, same thing with the kid yesterday. I'm like, well, every have you talked to lawyers? I mean, every lawyer will tell you not to do this. And then right. that's a <laughs> it red just doesn't flag. dissuade them at all. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. isn't it funny? Just it's every every person that asks you this, like, well, you know, like I'm going to be different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We're all special. Um, <laughs> I did manage to talk one younger cousin of mine out of law school. She was like, 
she was going to go. And my aunt, who was also a lawyer, was like, yeah, you should totally go. And I was like, no, you should not. <laughs> um, and she was a paralegal. I think that that's one thing I'd say is be a paralegal. That'll give you a good sense of what happens in a yeah. For sure. Yeah. People yeah. think when I'm speaking, I, I, I misspeak sometimes when I'm talking yeah. to a broad audience, you know, my class and it'll have 40 people in it, 50, 50, whatever. There's yeah. a decently yeah. big group of people. And I'm trying to tell some of the students in the class, hey, you know, if your idea of what lawyers do comes from TV, then you don't know what lawyers do and you need to go talk to real lawyers. And then the, some of the people find that really insulting that I'm saying that, but I, I'm not I, I I'm know. not judging you. And by the way, if you're a paralegal, I understand that you do know what you're getting yourself into. Right. But but for the other people who haven't ever like had any lawyers in their lives whatsoever, neither did I. And all I'm trying to do is to steer you away from the same mistake that I made, which was do some due diligence before, you know, <laughs> and if all yeah. you're doing is like talking to family, friends who are lawyers and they're all telling you don't do it and you do it anyway, that's not you're not yeah. doing any due yeah. diligence at all. Yeah. And also to take those pieces of advice with within the context of, you know, a generation above us telling us that it was different for them. They did it with less debt. They did it with more opportunities. The, the truth is, and, you know, I saw this from being at a law school and seeing the career services sort of side of things is they're just the, the opportunities for those jobs that make the big dollars there are just fewer of those jobs. Just the market is, there are more lawyers and fewer of those jobs. So if you're going for the money, it's not even the same calculation that it used to be. And those are miserable jobs if you get them. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I did that life for four years and I looked around and I think because I went for sort of default reasons, not because I actually like desperately wanted to be a lawyer, it was not surprising to me when I was like, oh, this sucks. I don't want to do this. And people were surprised. They're like, you're good at this. You like, I thought you'd be the one that stayed around. And it's just like, I just looked at the people ahead of me. I'm like, I don't want that life. But the problem is you, the whole golden handcuffs thing, not even just your student loans, but when you get those jobs and then you get a big house and you have a big mortgage and you send your kids to the private schools, all of a sudden, for a variety of reasons, you start to feel like you don't have the choice to leave. Um, so even within, even though I went, I only practiced for four years because I, I was very, I was, I remember being consciously aware of that, of like, if I don't get out, I'm going to get stuck. Mm. Law school in a lot of ways is almost designed to do that. It, you know, they start talking to you about on-campus interviewing for big law firms during your first year. Well, yeah. if you're going to do that, then you got to go out and buy the fancy suit so that you could be at your interview with the right clothes on. And then if you do get in there for a summer job, then it's like, oh, now you got to have all the clothes. And then you start thinking about cars and then you start, you know, yeah. you just it, they like students over borrow while they're in law school, because there's you there's yeah. there's no cap, essentially. So you can borrow your full tuition plus living expenses adjusted right, for right. your area. So people just, oh, I'll take the maximum. Just give me all the money you'll want to give me. And then right, they're right. spending money going out to dinner and stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. OK, you're on and the path. And it's hard, right? Like, again, and I feel like we've all said this no numerous times. It's really not about being judgmental because like 
we've all been there no. and it, it's 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 more just really trying to be like hey just really think about if this is is what you want um you know i also work with a lot of people who are sort of you know 30s getting into their 40s and all of a sudden what you thought success meant to you isn't a prestigious job with a big paycheck it's having the time to spend with your family and go on vacations and do activities that you enjoy. Um, and there's a real, I see this wave of kind of existential crisis, midlife crisis that comes with having devoted your life to this and realizing even if you look successful, you feel like, nope, <laughs> this isn't, it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. You know, one thing, so I have a, I have a kid who's uh, starting college right now and then another one who's applying right now. And when we look at schools to apply to and the departments to apply to within those colleges, right? It's like, what do you want to do? Do you want to do engineering? Do you want to do business? He has no clue, right? Yeah. And I think about these kids who we're talking to and it's like, I want to go to law school here are all the reasons why not to. And they still end up going in part because I wonder if there's just no other choice, right? A lot of people, if you're trying to decide yes or no on something, no matter how bad that choice is, if the alternative is nothing, which it feels like to them, it is, right. it's not, but right. it feels like, hey, I'm trying... Oh, I'm deciding, should I go or should I not go? And it's like, no, that's not the choice. The choice is, should you go to law school or do something else? But as long as those things don't exist, then right. no just feels so bad because it's nothing. And so I'm wondering, how do you help people who are trying to leave find these other opportunities? Right? Because I, I, yeah. that's what they're looking for, right? They're coming to you and they're saying, what should I do? And you're saying, okay, well, let's figure that out here. Look at the world. There's actually a hundred million opportunities, right. but how do right. you find and it? It's, and let me just tell you, it's a lot easier to do that at 25 than it is at 45. Um, because I, hmm. I think what you're describing is that it's not that there aren't other things to do, but it's a little messier, right? You have to just kind of like go get a job and see if you like it and see if you like the job and then compare it to the industry and be like, okay, I like the industry, but adjust the job. And that's, it's not linear and it's not clean. And there's something about the people who are drawn to law, I think, who also just like the clarity of the path that is presented to them. Well, I think that might be the yeah. big part because yeah. you talk about going to get another job. That would be great if you even knew what that was, but they don't, it's yes. like, they don't even know where to look. So it feels like you're looking into an abyss. And so then law school, despite all its warts, right. you say, I'm going to go anyway, because I, I don't see any other path. Right. Right. Meanwhile, right, it's, it's clear, right? You know, yeah, I, I feel like I, so I went to law school and practiced in Boston and then I moved to New York to work at Fordham and Obviously, I had already left practice, but it was eye-opening to me. People in New York do, I don't know, they just seem like they're doing everything, right? Like people, I, I heard of sort of jobs and industries. I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. And it was just sort of being exposed to such a wide range. I don't know, especially everyone I knew in Boston was a lawyer because that's where I went to law school. And that's like the universe that I lived in. And yeah. so I think it's a little bit just getting exposure to, 
I was like, okay, so like marketing or design or, you know, even tech, I, I've talked, there's so many different places in tech that you don't have to have like a massive tech background to get into, um, like recruiting, like they're just, I don't know, that's just like random things off the top of my head. But I think giving yourself permission to not have the answer right out of college, or even the few years after that, like, is there any thing better to do in your 20s than to like figure out what you actually want to do with your life? Mm. That's if I could give someone advice is to say, people feel very rushed. Like I have to have my career in place. And that's how I get to all of the benchmarks I want to in my life. It, it sounds like you're saying slow down, Yes. get a job, whatever it is, yeah. and use that time that the job is allowing you to have because it's earning you money to expose yourself to as many people yeah. And yeah. just things going on. I mean, people is huge too, right? Building a network. It's so surprising to me um, how much valuable information you can get from people you hardly know. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. was just talking to someone last night at a volleyball game and they were telling me about this summer camp. And I'm like, I think I'm going to sign my kids up for that camp. And we talked, you know, yeah. I don't know that person super well. And it's, I'm probably not going to see them for a while, but it's like you get information by, connecting with people. Yeah. And being um, intentional about it. It's not just mm -hmm. saying like, oh, just sort of sit back and collect a paycheck and then wait five to 10 years to figure it out then. It's like, mm -hmm. be engaged in it, building mm -hmm. your network, talking to people, learning about different things while getting a paycheck, see what yeah. you like about it. Um, and just not feeling this pressure. Look, I just, I just think the answer also there's this like respectability about graduate school that was like okay well that's a legitimate thing to go be doing your spending your time doing right it just isn't easier answer for people but i think structurally it just makes less and less sense to jump into it yeah nathan that's uh that's all i got i'm so glad matt recommended you um he was raving about how great a guest you were gonna be and uh he was totally right so Thanks to Thanks. Matt Dumont for the connection. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. was this was fun. Anytime I have an opportunity, I to to save someone from going to law school who oughtn't to go to law school is is a good day for me. <laughs> yeah, that's the goal, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. how do we get yeah. our listeners never yeah. to have to use Megan's professional right? Exactly. Services? I want you to never <laughs> need me. <laughs> Megan, your uh, your website, by the way, when you click on services, it I love the very the top of the page when you click on services, just asks done working for the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have a whole side thing about, you know, the structure of working in corporate America <laughs> that I could go on a diatribe about. Do it. <laughs> yeah. I just think that like, this was a structure that worked for our parents and they're like, yeah, go work for a company and just, you know, be a good soldier and you'll be able to buy your house and send your kids to college and all of that. And that's not how it works. They're, and they don't have your back. You know, I, I was a lawyer in the midst of, you know, the 2007, 2008 crash. People want to think it's stable. People were getting laid off left and right. And, you know, we're in a precarious time right now. And, you know, law firms, you hear the buzz of like, is that going to happen again? And I think we we're following a generation's old plan for stability and yeah. sort of trusting in the the structures. And I think that's setting us up for 
disappointment. And, and the best thing you can learn is to be resourceful for yourself and just know that like, you'll be able to navigate whatever it is and use that sense of resourcefulness. You know, I'm just biased. I think building your own business is like the best way to create a world where you get to come up, show up, do it with your sort of zone of genius and doing things you enjoy and, you know, living in your values. I just think as a way, people talk a lot about work-life balance. Like, can I get enough time? But I'm more about like work-life integration. You've got one life. Like, are you spending eight hours a day? I'm not, I don't want to just throw away eight hours to 10 hours a day. I want it to be something that lights me up to do. Have you watched Severance on, uh, on Apple? No, I haven't. (laughs) It's a really good show. It's directed by Ben Stiller. It's, uh, but it's, uh, it's a sort of a, uh, dark, very, very dark comedy about people who, um, the conceit of the show is that you have this chip put into your head, which severs you so that when you show up for work, you like go up this elevator and you're just this other work person. And when you leave work, you go down the elevator and you have no memory of your work life. Right. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's exactly it. And I think, I think the system is, is built to maximize corporate profits, not to maximize your personal fulfillment or happiness. And I'm just sort of on a mission to say, look, those things matter and we should prioritize them. Beautiful. Wow. Uh, our, um, yeah, our interests are certainly aligned. Yeah. So I'm glad we had you <laughs> yeah. on the show. Yeah, this was fun. <laughs> yeah. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you if they want to? Uh, yeah. So my website is just megansmiley.com and I'm on Instagram at Megan Smiley, ESQ, um, on LinkedIn, just Megan Smiley. So any of those places you can find me. Great. Yeah. Thanks again, Megan. Thanks for coming yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. This, uh, let's jump into pearls versus turds. We got an email here from John says thinking else at crew. I have a potential pearl versus turd to run by you. I am a professional tutor though, not for the LSAT. And I feel something I've heard from my students can easily pertain to those prepping for the LSAT. Here is my epiphany. There is no such thing as a bad test taker. There are those who are prepared and those who are not, period. I'd love to hear your thoughts, John. Okay. Uh, I imagine that in the world, there are actually people who are bad at test taking, but I don't know that the belief in that, does anyone any good? So believing that there is no such thing as a bad test taker sounds like a, <laughs> a good idea. Because anyone who believes that, it becomes self-fulfilling, right? Like if you believe, hey, I'm a bad test taker, well, okay, well, now you probably are going to be a bad one, even if you don't have to be. It's like I'm hearing my words coming out of your mouth. That's exactly what I thought when I saw this yesterday or the day before when I put it on the agenda. Like, Hmm. yeah, there are, there are bad test takers. (laughs) Just ask them. They'll tell you the, the people who say it are bad test takers. I mean, the thing that I always say, if someone says, well, I'm a, and they, they say it a lot. That's the problem. They say it a lot. They really believe it. They have coached themselves to believe it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you see this with all sorts of things like, oh, I'm bad at math. Oh, really? Well, maybe you just sucked at a few things and now you've come to believe that. And so you're not going to try hard to get good at math and you're always going to be bad at it. Yeah. 
what I say when people come to me with that, if they start with like, well, you know, I've always been a really bad test taker, blah, blah, blah. I then just I like interrupt them almost and just go, hey, you, you got to stop saying that <laughs> if yeah. you want. You want our help. If if you want me to help you to the best of my ability, I really do have to get you to clean up that self-talk. Like mm-hmm. you're you're not going to kill this test unless you eventually learn to love the test. And if you keep saying I'm a bad test taker every time you sit down to do it, that's just recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. I, I can't give this a pearl just to the extent that I, I disagree. I, I do think that there are bad test takers. But I think that it's pretty much only those people who repeatedly tell themselves that they are bad test takers. Yep. And if you're one of those people, no big deal. Just stop today. Going forward, start seeing how you can become a good test taker. Yeah. And you can replace the language pretty easily with just, I'm working on it. You know, I think you can acknowledge I've had some difficulties with tests in the past, but that is something that I'm working through. Mm hmm. You know, I'm getting a little bit better every day. Yep. That's That's how it works. (laughs) That is how it works. One question at a time. And people just have to start telling themselves that story instead of getting so caught up in their I'm a bad test taker story. Yep. All right. So that puts the scoreboard at 21 pearls, 67 turds or 66 turds and uh, 26 ties. If you have a Pearl versus Turds candidate, email help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at thinkinglsat. John, thanks for sending that in, by the way. Um, We totally understand your point about nobody actually being naturally a bad test taker. Um, We feel you. This next one uh, came into our website from Van. You want to take it? Yeah, so this is an exit survey says hey why are you leaving and van said i crushed the lsat it's nice to know van would also apparently recommend the demon to others but (laughs) wait why why did we add this i don't know why we added this but anyways there's a question that says what would you change about the demon and van says nothing you all are amazing and the mfing real deal I took other prep courses and they are scams. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all you need to do is, oh, all caps, read what is actually in front of you. Thank you. That's, that's a good piece of advice. <laughs> I put it on the agenda because that is just the golden tip for the LSAT, right? Yeah. I, I mentioned earlier on the show in our interview uh, with Megan, I mentioned a prospect who I talked to yesterday who scored 159 right out of the box. Yep. Well, you don't do that if the questions don't make sense. Like what what that student did is he solved the questions. Yeah. You know, he he took the time. He he says he didn't finish one of the sections, which great, he shouldn't have. It's his first test. There's hardly anybody should finish the test on time when yeah. it's your first ever test. But he he took the time to solve the majority of the questions and that's how we got a 159. And from there we can easily help you learn to solve the rest of them. They also make perfect sense. If you read what's there, they make perfect sense. You just have to read in a more focused detail oriented way than maybe you're naturally inclined to, but you absolutely can figure it out. 
I like this because <clears throat> not only is Van telling people to read what is on the page and figure it out, as you were just saying, but there's all this also this implication that reading what is actually in front of you is reflects presence, right? We always talk about people who do poorly because they're so worried about finishing or something that is not present, right? Your present job is to do nothing but read what is right in front of you right now, nothing else. Don't worry about what you just read. Don't worry about what you're about to read in the next question. Just do what you need to do right now. People find things to worry about, you know, and again, I'm not judging. I'm just, I'm trying to coach people into a way that's going to be more successful on this test. But people... (laughs) I forwarded you, Ben, an email from a student that I just I don't really know what more to say to him. He's he's been prepping for a long time now and he's almost like he's running out of tests. Yeah. But he says that when he's doing one of those tests, he worries that questions he's seen before are going to influence his process. But also he's worried that it's going to influence the diagnostic value of the test. And he's like, it's almost like he's worrying about worrying about that stuff. And it's like the thing you're not doing is you're not reading what is actually in front of you in this moment. Yeah. Like you've seen the question before, you know, you've seen it before. Okay. What does it say? Solve the question. Can you get it right right now and understand why it's right? (laughs) Yeah. And if there's some inkling that you remember what the correct answer is, I don't care. That's not solving the question. Solve the question. Like you should get yourself to feel that click on that question, even if you've done it a thousand times. I mean, I do questions in class that I've done a thousand times. Yeah. But I still have to reason through it and find the click. Yeah. And the only way that you do that is by reading what is actually there. All of the words. Not some of them, all of them in the argument and all the words in the question and all the words in the answer you're going to pick. Sometimes I don't read all the words in the answers that I know I'm not going to pick. Because I read the first few words and I'm like, well, that that ain't going to be it. But I am going to read all of the rest of it and I'm going to solve it, like feel the click to where I know that that's the answer. Yeah. It's just amazing how often that ends up being. (laughs) It's at least half of what we have to teach about this test. Yep. <laughs> thanks. Right. Thanks for uh, being. Thanks for leaving the demon, Dan. <laughs> I guess the other thing: have we done an analysis on how many people who, who how many people say I crushed the LSAT when they uh, are leaving? We have a drop down I- menu, obviously, and people yeah. are choosing I crushed the LSAT. But there's lots of other things on that list. Yeah. Like I didn't crush it or I'm done or I'm not going to law school anymore. I've decided to stop pursuing law school. Yeah, I, I, I'm not done with the LSAT. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ones. I hate Ben and Nathan. Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> That's in the comments mostly. <laughs> yeah, uh, we have not done an analysis, but I think Brandon has. Okay. I think he's got something going. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a, it's a very high percentage of people who exiting the demon are like, yep, I crushed it. Amazing. It is self-reported, so who knows what they mean by that. But yeah, that's good that some of them feel that way. (laughs) All right. Should we take this next one? 
Yeah, this one is from a CAS Hunter. SAS. What do people SAS? say SAS? Or do they just say CAS? Credential Assembly Service. Credential Assembly Service is very clunky. So I guess yeah. you could say SAS. I don't know. Okay. Greetings, it says. Underneath is an interesting response from a SAS waiver request. I sent out a form letter to 27 schools asking for application fee waivers. The majority of schools with app fees weighed their app fees, but not SAS. And the, the Credential Assembly Service, by the way, you have to pay like 200 bucks to get yourself a subscription to this service. But then you also have to pay $45 for every school you apply to that's a report fee, 45 bucks. So if you're going to apply to 30 schools, you're talking about more than $1,000 worth of these SAS fees. And, and just to clarify, that's not the application fee. So you have the school, which charges you an application fee of, say, $75, but then you have to turn around and pay LSAC, yes, that lovely organization that you also paid to uh, <laughs> take the test, the SAS fee. So there's there's <laughs> two fees going on when you apply to any one school. Right. Now, some schools don't even have application fees. That's but- true. The schools that do t- tend to waive them at the drop of a hat. I mean, if you if you ask schools for application fees, well, SAS Hunter here says the majority of schools with application fees waived the application fees, but not that forty five dollar credential assembly service fee of the 19 schools with no app fee. Eight of those schools provided SAS codes. So there's a code that they can give you. And what happens is, well, we'll read this email here from, uh, do you want to read the uh, email that SAS Hunter forwarded from uh, Dean Matthews at Lincoln Memorial University? Yeah. Uh, Dean Matthews responded to (laughs) SAS Hunter. Thank you for the email and question. As a small school with a limited budget, we do not provide many fee waivers. While waived for the applicant, we must pay $45 to LSAC on your behalf. Nonetheless, as long as you have an LSAT score of 148 or higher, then I would be happy to arrange for a code for you. Why 148? It was our 25th percentile number this year, and you stand the best chance of admission with at least that score. I hope you understand. Best regards, Dean Matthews. So Dean Matthews, I mean, there's a couple of things here, but one thing is the someone has to pay LSAC, whether it's you or the school. Dean Matthews here is saying, hey, we're not going to pay that $45 for you if you have a score below 148 because you're unlikely to be accepted. It'd be money thrown away. But you have other issues you want to talk about. Well, I, I just think that this kind of, tips their hand as to the the you know the business that they are operating. I mean yeah. they they are thinking about admissions like a business and they are telling you that well yeah we could waive that $45 fee for you because if you come you know we're probably going to admit you. This is a school if you look at their 509 by the way um they're in Knoxville Tennessee they're ranked like 150 something in the country. They're a regional school, you know, I'm not insulting yeah. the school at all. But they do admit um, 56% of the people who apply. And of those, they only get less than 50% uh, enrollment rate. So we're talking about a 27% overall enrollment rate from completed applications. What the dean is telling you is it's worth 
a $45 wager on our part that you might come and, you know, uh, pay us says here, $39,900 a year plus some fees. So 40 something thousand dollars a year. Wow. $45 to get the chance of getting $40,000 a year. Exactly. It's a, it's it's a hell of a bet. It's a $45 bet to win 40,000 you know, or to get somebody who they're going to give a scholarship to because you're going to raise the prestige of the school. Um, at this school, 7% of the school is getting full tuition. 52% of the school is getting half to full tuition. So, you know, there are very few people and it's the people at their 25th percentile, by the way, who are paying the actual money. And then if you're above that by a significant margin, um, their LSATs are low. You know, they're at this school, they're, um, 25th percentile is only 148. Their 75th percentile is only 154. So yeah, you know, they're, they're probably going to make you a very generous offer if you're over 154. I don't know. It just, it was, I had never seen an email from an actual law school Dean of admissions. This is an associate Dean for enrollment services. Um, Hmm. But I had never seen them being so like upfront (laughs) <laughs> it, like they didn't need to put that last two sentences of their email. Nope. They could just say, yeah, or explain why. Yep. They didn't need to explain why <laughs> they didn't need to say why 148. Well, it was our 25th percentile and you have the best chance of admission. If that's, I guess they're just trying to encourage, you know, the right type of people to apply anyway. <laughs> that's it about uh, application fee waivers. You, you should ask. I mean, the lesson here is that you should ask, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, SAS Hunter, um, <laughs> interesting that 19 of the schools had no application fee. And of those, though, you can still squeeze the $45 report fee out of almost half of them. So SAS Hunter has, you know, saved $400 here easily. Yeah. Not even counting the application fees that potentially got waived, waived yeah. which was a lot of those. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I'll, uh, let me tackle this next one from Victor. Hey, Ben and Nathan, thank you for changing the trajectory of my life. Uh, ben, do you remember Victor? We, we've had Victor uh, has been a correspondent of the show. Um, over Personal the years. statement, I feel like. Possibly. Lots of stuff. Yeah. So Victor says, by the way, Victor now is a JD candidate at Texas Law. Okay. Without your advice, I would be in a drastically worse situation. Wanting to take law school seriously, I took Nathan's class in San Francisco, that was at least two and a half years ago, to force myself to engage with the material since I was terrible at self-studying. I had an LSAC 4.03 UGPA and a diagnostic of 155. After an arduous few months, I was improving, but slowly, because of my stubbornness to accept your methods, I was rushing to finish the test and missing low-hanging fruit. When my first official test came along, my practice scores were in the low 160s. I convinced myself I could hit the metaphorical grand slam on the official test and improve well beyond my practice scores. I obviously didn't. I swung for the fences and scored a 157, and it was already the beginning of the admission cycle. My family urged me to apply that year since I had already been studying for months and, quote, peaked. Without Nathan's guidance, I would have. I remember asking Nathan if I should apply just to see what offers I would get. I clearly told him no. (laughs) Instead, I grudgingly took his advice and studied for another year. 
we hate it when people apply shittily just to see what offers they would get. No, what's the point? It wastes your time, energy, money, and now it tempts you. You're t- it's like setting candy on the counter and saying, well, I'm not yeah. going to I just want to see how good it looks. Like, what? Yeah. Let me see what's the what point bad of it offers I could get. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just not going to be as good as they would be if you followed the advice. Anyway, should let Victor talk. He says, <laughs> I, I cannot emphasize how vital this advice was. I finally created a regimen of self-studying that I could stick to. I also sent my personal statement to the show on episode 265, which y'all graciously gave feedback on and even really liked the first half of exclamation point parentheses. We don't have to talk about the second half. After a year, I finally began to understand the mistakes I was making and scored a 169. Since I didn't care about clerkships and postponing for another year would result in scholarship gains less than an associate salary, I finally applied. After sending my materials on the first day of the admission cycle, a few weeks later, I received a $120,000 scholarship offer from University of Texas that I would eventually accept. The entirety of my law school tuition will cost me less than one semester of my undergrad. Interesting to see how he's uh, anchoring on certain things, right? Yeah, he he definitely has these cost comparisons, right? He's the doing associate salary uh-huh. and stuff like that. Yeah, he's doing uh, yeah, he's doing comparisons, which a purely econ uh, yeah. mind opportunity would not cost, do. right? Yeah. If you read Thaler, um, that book Misbehaving that I've recommended m- okay. many times on the show, yeah, it's about how people don't, they just don't behave like economists, uh, the traditional economists would would assume they behave. They they don't, because Victor would never think about that. The fact that it's um, less than another, than a year of an associate salary, so what? You, do, you don't have to pay it. Or yeah. um, the fact that it's less than one semester of your undergrad so you, you don't have to pay it anyway. He's basically taking our advice, right? Except for kind of not because he could have done better than a 169. Yeah. But what don't you think he was thinking about the associate salary because he's saying, OK, I could either spend that year earning that salary or spend that year. Trying OK, to so save. maybe even a pure econ would make that connect, make that comparison. He's looking yeah. at the opportunity costs like, OK, I'm giving up a year yeah. of associate salary. OK. But yeah, anyway, that second anchoring yeah. though is definitely irrelevant. I mean, he's just saying it to, that, to that's like just for, yeah. compliment us, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the skills you instilled are absolutely essential for law school. And I now understand why the LSAT correlates so well with 1L grades. I utilize the close reading that Ben and Nathan advocate for daily, whether it be statutes or case law. As of today, I'm a 2L who will be working at a mid-sized Dallas firm next summer with an excellent work-life balance at the cost of being a little under market rate. Everyone is extremely happy there, and I couldn't possibly be more delighted to join the firm. It's a dream come true, exclamation point. Realistically, if I didn't listen to your advice, I would probably be at USF or Hastings paying full price with a worse summer offer. Law school is the hardest work I've ever done in my life, but I'm one of the crazies that can't imagine doing anything else. I've dreamed of sending this thank you email for years now, And now that I have a job secured for next year, I feel like it's finally time. Thank you for making me do law school right. Thank you for changing my life. I still listen to every episode of the podcast to support y'all. It's the perfect late night podcast for me after a day's worth of law school reading. After all, what could be the, quote, (laughs) kind eyes of the security guard? (laughs) 
best Victor, the, the kind eyes joke. That's for longtime <laughs> listeners of the show. And for me and Ben, mostly um, that was a, that was a, an amazing, um, amazingly terrible personal statement that we read. But you can, you can just simply Google kind eyes thinking Elsa and you'll find that episode. Yeah. That's a riot. I think that that has to be the funniest uh, moments we ever had on our show. Episode one fifty six, by the way. One five six. If you want to yeah. hear what Victor's kind eyes joke is about, thank you, Victor. You did all the work. Uh, you're trying to give us the credit, but you know you worked your ass off, and you're continuing to work your ass off in law school. And I'm sure the firm is going to be extremely lucky to have you. Hopefully, you won't end up uh, calling uh, Megan Smiley. Um, <laughs> down the road to uh, be yeah. getting out of this hopefully you'll uh, be one of the happy ones that sticks well she did make an interesting point right she said law school work people who love that may not necessarily like legal work that's not something we've talked about a lot on this show i've kind of mushed them all together as like legal insanity but yeah there are differences so hopefully victor you like the legal practice just as much as you've liked law school that's awesome. Yeah. Good luck, Victor. Thanks for writing in. Thanks for supporting the show. Should we take a look at the uh, streak? Let's do it. So <clears throat> on the dashboard of the demon, you can see how many days you've been studying the LSAT. As long as you do one question or one time section a day, you will be maintaining a streak. And we have some people who have been maintaining a streak for a super long time. Uh, why don't you read them? Well, it's a two-way tie at the top between Vin and George. Congratulations, yeah. Vin. Congratulations, George. You better not slip because right on your heels, Brian and Adam uh, have 168 days. Yeah, 169 days. Did I say that? That Yeah. Okay, so coming up on half a year of doing at least one question drilling in the demon every day. And then we've got Brian and Adam who are a day behind that and a couple more that are hidden a day behind that. The top 10, Aiden, Brooke, Peter, and Joel. And those are Joel at 10th place has a 150 day streak going. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to all of you. Ben had a brilliant idea that if one of you, um, especially Vin or George, if you would like to come on the show and talk about your streak, we would love to interview you. But really anybody in the top 10, we would love to hear what it takes to maintain that, that type of a streak. Yeah, that's impressive. So nice work. That's a work ethic that I don't think I have. Cool. So here we have an email from Anonymous. Uh, I'll read it. It says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I scored a 152 on my diagnostics several years ago. Before finding you guys, I took I took the LSAT while I was with another LSAT prep company, and I was disappointed with my score, a 168. While studying for the September 2022 LSAT, I stumbled on you guys through Reddit, and I signed up and drank the Kool-Aid. When I woke up on September 28th to see my score, I was blown away, a 177. Holy fuck. What? Question mark. This is this is all anonymous. I knew while writing the test that I was getting almost all the questions right. So this wasn't a surprise, but I know who to thank. I know that you two will be reading this and that you'll say some bullshit like, you're the one who did the work. 
<laughs> yeah, we just did say that to Victor. Or the test makes perfect sense. We just helped you make sense of it. My response, you can fuck off and live a little. I've been a tutor for almost a decade, so you and I both know how important good instruction can be for student <laughs> outcomes. I have many, many more thoughts I'd love to share, but 1,000 characters ain't enough. Thank you. Wow. That's why we keep it to a thousand characters. That comes into yeah. the website, and you you have to uh, you have to do the thousand character limit. I got to tell you though, for most of you who email the show with really long emails, they're not making it onto the agenda. Or I'm going to respond immediately and say, "Hey, this is too long for the show. Can you shorten it a bit?" So um, it's not that I don't want to have a conversation. It's just that we can't do mammoth emails on the show. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, thank you, anonymous for your compliments. <laughs> yeah. This next one here is from Q. Fuck off and live a little. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this one comes from Q. It's perfect timing because in the PS, it references uh, something that Anonymous just said. Salutations, Ben and Nathan. Thank you for the podcast and all you do. I've been a longtime Demon subscriber and podcast listener. I wanted to write in about interpreting results from reused tests I'm at the point in my LSAT journey where basically every one of my tests has some form of questions, passage, or game that I've done in the past, and so I tend to recognize it and would be able to quickly and correctly answer it. Does that skew the final scoring? Yes. <laughs> yes, it does skew the final <laughs> scoring. If so, how much does it impact the practice test score? We don't know. We don't know. Um, it depends on how many questions. It. Yeah, you're... you're recognizing and how much that helped you there's there can be quite a range in terms of bumps yeah i'm finally getting into the 170s after about 11 months of studying starting from a 151 wow grinding it out yeah 20 point improvement and totally 151 is a great starting place so it yeah, is nice. yeah but in the 170s now uh, Q continues, I would be quite remiss if the 170s that I've been getting are just from the few points boost that I receive from the recognized questions. I mean, we don't know. We don't know how much of a boost you're getting. So maybe you're not actually in the 170s, but it in some ways it doesn't matter. What matters is that anytime you take a test or a section that you learn from it, regardless of the actual score you are given at the end. Yep. Are you getting questions right or wrong? If you're getting them wrong, why are you getting them wrong? What can you learn from them? And if you get to a point where you're acing tests that you've seen before, well, maybe you wouldn't ace them if you hadn't seen them before. It doesn't matter. The point is you've now learned as much as you possibly can from that test. And that's all you can do. And then go take it officially. Yeah, I totally agree. Which ones are you missing? Why are you missing them? Stop thinking so much about your 120 to 180 score. I know it's hard to do that, but it's just, that's not the point. At this point in your studying, it's just, and at every point in your studying, it's always about the ones you're missing. I, I just really don't care about the other stuff. Um, By the way, Q, you're using yeah, the remiss. word remiss incorrectly here. I looked it up and it says lacking care or attention to duty, or it can mean negligent. Uh, an example, it would be remiss of me not to pass on that information. You would be sad. You would be, I don't know, disappointed. You would be yep. whatever uh, if those 170s are only from the recognized questions. You you are not remiss. That's not the right usage. Okay. Yep. Anyway, 
Q has a PS. I agree with Ben on his opinion of the phrase drinking the LSAT demon Kool-Aid. So I would like to offer the alternative living the demon mantra. It always seemed like the better fit to me as it is a statement that I remind myself daily before my studies. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? I think well, okay, so Kool-Aid at least in my mind definitely brings up this like this cultish past, right? So it, I like moving away from that. Mantra can still fall into that trap though of like you just say things over and over again regardless of whether they're true and um there is value in mantras. I just hope that they're they're based in reality. Um, yeah, the thing that I'm going to say is that drinking the LSAT demon Kool-Aid, it's a, it's a joke anyway. It is a joke, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the point. It's a joke. We're not trying to develop <laughs> a cult, even though we have accidentally. But it's not it's it's a it's a joke. The, the drinking the Kool-Aid um, living the demon mantra I would hate myself if I ever said that. It's just too, I can't, uh, I personally am not going to ever say that because I, I, <laughs> I would be too disgusted with my own ego if I did that. What, what is it that you don't like about it? What, what is it? The, the, it's something that's like too, it's cringy, but why? Uh, oh, I don't know. I, I'm looking up mantra, by the way. Originally from Hinduism and Buddhism, a word or sound repeated to aid concentration in meditation. A mantra is given to a trainee meditator when his teacher initiates him. That's an example of, of what a mantra might be. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm like all into yoga and hippie shit like that, but I still don't. You know, the parts of yoga that I hate are like the chanting if they ever, they don't do that really ever. I don't think they've ever done that at my studio that I go to. And um, thank God, because well, I you wouldn't cannot go stand anymore. that. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. I really wouldn't. Um, so I don't know. Mantra to me smacks just a little too much of that kind of woo woo hippie shit that I, I don't, I'm not a fan of that aspect of it. Here's a word that I like, and I don't know if it's a good replacement for Kool-Aid, but it is something that it's a word I like. And it is something that I think that we are doing, and that is mindset. And I don't know if there's the mm. demon mindset, but yeah, changing people's mindset about the test, in my mind, in so many different ways, right? There are all sorts of mindsets that people can have. And it's like, let's reset those so that they're better mindsets. They have all these trickle-down effects, right? If you have the right mm -hmm. mindset, all these other things come into play that are fixed by that mindset. Whereas when you talk tactics, you can fix the tactic, have the wrong mindset, and it actually makes things worse because you're, you're not congruent with, you need to understand why we believe what we believe and why we're suggesting you do this or that. And it really comes from a mindset. Anyways. Yeah. I was going to say um, intention. Okay. Which mm -hmm. I think is, very similar to what you're yeah. saying, you know, when, the, and I don't, that I don't hate at all. If they say that in, you know, set an intention for your practice today in mm -hmm. yoga, I, I will have like a thought, you know, some, something that I'm thinking about. Um, I, I don't know why I like that idea a lot more than I like the mantra idea, but sure. Thank you anyway, Q for sending that in. Yeah. 
be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about LSAT Demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our daily podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. Before you wrap it up, I wanted to say thanks uh, also to Megan Smiley for um, guesting on today's show. That was super excellent that you came on. Yeah, super excellent. That was awesome. <laughs> Uh, that was episode 371 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Do not pay for law school.